0: we've been talking about through our entire gathering. Today is um, Ascension Sunday. This is the day on the Christian calendar uh, where we celebrate uh, that 40 days after Easter, Jesus ascends um, into uh, into the air to to be at, uh, seated at the right hand of of the Father. And so um, and we're coming in with um, some, some grief this morning. We're coming in with just a heavy week. And so uh, my goal this morning, uh, and really what's pressed upon my heart, is to focus on on the ascension of Jesus, which, which typically we talk about his kingship, but also uh, the, the ascended king who also descends as as our shepherd uh, to be with us. Uh, and so this this kind of this moment for me happened this past week. I was driving uh, to Katy uh, down ninety nine. Which if you've driven to Katy in a while down ninety nine, with all the traffic, you thought traffic was bad then, but traffic is awful, y'all. It used to take me twenty minutes to get to my brother's house, who lives in old. Katie and I'm with my kids my wife was working so I'm flying solo and we're sitting in traffic and and we're just waiting to get to his house and we're literally crawling down 99 because people don't know how to drive y'all they don't know that merge that happens right there in multiple opens as often as it does and so you're, you're literally crawling and then you think there's a wreck that's ahead before you there's no wreck it just all of a sudden opens up and you're free and man when I got free y'all gas pedal down to the, to the ground, okay, not that fast, but I went down, As you know, you, you drive a diesel, I drive a F-250, it, it takes a little bit for it to go, so punch, it's one of these, like, mm, mm, and then we started going, and then we would get up to this on uh, 99 and 10, if you know, there's this this this, um, this ramp that goes up, and it leads it, and it drops you down into old Katie, and my, my son, who I'm trying to entertain uh, with all that traffic, as soon as we got up that high, he goes, dad, dad, and it startled me, almost, like, drove off, the ramp from him being so excited and so loud. And, and I said, what is it, son? What is it? He goes, Dad, I can see everything. I was like, yeah, buddy. I can, I can see it all too. Look at me. There's, there's, there's a police car over there. Oh, oh there's, there's a barbecue joint called Cooper's. I haven't been there. I want to go there. There, there's, there. There's also a hospital right here where people are hurting. There's also th- these cars look like little ants that are driving based upon how, how far we were up. And then at some point... We had, to come, we had to come down. And for that moment for me, as, I don't know, as silly, uh, maybe as that may be driving into Katie, I thought, Jesus, he sees it all. Much more than just Katie, much more than just Sugarland, much more than just Richmond. He has ascended on high. And as we celebrated in Genesis chapter 16 with Hagar, he's the God who sees. But he's also the ascended king, but he's also our descended shepherd who stoops, And makes himself available in the midst of the valley. Because the Ascension Church, it invites us to lift our eyes to the king for heavenly perspective. While knowing our good shepherd descends when we don't understand why. And this has been a week, y'all, where I'm sure we've been plagued with the question of why. Why are things happening? Why are school shootings happening? Why are things like in Uvalde and Buffalo? Why why is there tragedy? Why are we losing a good friend like we lost? Why are people dying? Maybe you've been questioning those questions yourself of why. In church, Jesus asked why himself on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. A people of freedom as our king, he is the ascended one who rules, because it's in his sovereign rule we find hope. It's also in his available, tender care that he intercedes on our behalf. He's our king and he's our shepherd. And so you're going to hear a lot throughout our time, the ascended shepherd king, which is a mouthful, That's titles, but it's our title, the ascended shepherd king. What is this ascended shepherd king? He satisfies our thirst. He satisfies our thirst. Look with me in Luke chapter 24, verse 50. In these few little verses, there's so much, y'all. But here we go. In verse 50, and he led them. This is Jesus. He led them as far as Bethany. As far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with not just a little bit of joy, but with great joy. And were continually in the temple Blessing God. Anytime the Bible mentions a location, especially when they talk about that location being as far as Bethany, I got so like intrigued by by the, by, by Bethany. I had to research a little bit to know that this town was not a significant. Town. I mean, it was a couple miles east from Jerusalem, close to the Mount of Olives, and it was situated on a well-traveled road that led to Jericho. Scholars believe that, that the town of Bethany wasn't even really a town. It was more like a, like a subdivision. It's almost like if I were to tell you, hey, um, you know, do you know where Monaville is? It's people who went to a and before the 99 existed where you could take 290 all the way, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I know where Monaville is. It's on the way to College Station. But typically, people don't know the town of Monaville. And so we have some property out there. And I'll typically say, yeah, we have some land in Monaville. And they look at me funny. I'm like, yeah, we have some property in Hempstead. It's like, oh, Hempstead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know know where Hempstead is. So that's Bethany, y'all. Because Monaville is situated on a well-traveled road called 359. That if you keep on taking that road, you'll take it to Monaville, where there's a gas station and maybe a newer gas station across the street. And that's about it. Be blinky miss it. This is Bethany. This is, this is an isolated place. Some have also suggested that Bethany means house of the poor or house of misery because the, de- the area was designated for people with leprosy who have been deemed unclean. So you've got this isolated place where all the sick people are. That's why you see Simon the leper in Mark 14 verse 3, because that's where lepers reside. That's where sickness resides. But if you're familiar with the scriptures, we know and remember what all went down in Bethany. It was in this isolated, sick place that Jesus rolls in, in the midst of death. Hear this, y'all. In the midst of loss, in the midst of weeping, he weeps himself in John 11. And then he goes and rolls up on Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus raises from the grave. This is in Bethany. Things like this in Bethany don't don't happen. This is also the place where Mary anointed Jesus' feet. This is the place where right before Jesus went on his triumphal entry, he got his pregame on at Bethany. He was anointed for burial. And he goes from Bethany on top of the Mount of Olives to ride this donkey on Palm Sunday. And it's on the Mount of Olives, Jesus will, will return just as the, the disciples saw him go up. And now before Jesus ascends, he leads them back. He leads his disciples to this isolated place to remind his followers that he's a God that takes what is empty and makes things full. You may be in your neighborhood, even maybe close to a well-traveled road, tucked away from the Grand Parkway, lacking purpose and feeling empty, though you have everything at your fingertips. Listen, church, Jesus takes a place like Bethany, a place of misery to, to a place of hope. Jesus takes what has been made a wreck, and he brings wonder. He does this in the most unlikely place with the most unlikely people, people like you and I. Jesus does some of his greatest work in places like Bethany by satisfying our thirst in the wilderness. By satisfying our thirst. This past week on a Wednesday night, we had a prayer and worship night. uh, And we dove into this passage of Psalm 63. And I'm going to go ahead and go there now where David is in the wilderness. He's being pursued. He's alone. Enemies are coming after him. He's alone and he's in the wilderness. And he writes this in Psalm 63 verse 1. Oh, God. Have those been your words this past week? David resonates with this. He resonates with grief, he resonates with loss, he resonates with the empty place. He says, oh God, you are my God. I am yours and you are mine. We have a relationship, here, a personal relationship. God, you're never intended to be so ascended and so distant to not commune with your people. So if you're here this morning and have been in church a long time, God has never intended just to hang out on the screen. As we sing words to him, no, as we sing, we we participate with him and commune with him, not only on a Sunday morning, but throughout our, our week. Oh God, my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as a dry and weary land where there is no water. Church, where do you turn to satisfy the thirst of your soul? Where do you turn to satisfy the thirst of your soul? Because our habits reveal the wells that we rely on. It is no coincidence as Chris was leading communion, he talked about Jesus saying he is thirsty because Jesus was thirsty on that rugged cross to satisfy our thirst. He was parched to soak us in his love. He went without to be our well. He was forsaken to be our overflowing fountain in this wilderness. If we would turn to him, if we would earnestly seek him, that's why David continues to say, so I've looked to the sanctuary. I have nowhere else to turn. I have no other grounding to go. I look to you in the sanctuary, in this desert place, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. Slap that on a bookmark. Slap that even as a tattoo. Your steadfast love is better than life. Kids, don't get a tattoo if like that's a violation of your conscience as you grow up. Maybe it's the way your parents parent you. Just saying, we got to remember that, y'all that your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you so I will bless you as long as I live in your name and I will lift up my hands, David says. The ascended shepherd king lifts up his hands for us to lift up ours. David did not leave off singing because he was in the wilderness, but he worshiped no matter the circumstance and presented to God a wilderness hymn. He was in the midst of a desert but yet there was not a desert in his heart because there in that moment he experienced the sanctuary where he drank deeply from the fount that never runs dry. God is doing something, church. He's doing, a, he's doing something in our day and within this past week. He's writing a story and bringing about, bringing about a song from a heavenly vantage, vantage point that doesn't always make sense. The ascended shepherd king, he satisfies our thirst. But he also, our ascended shepherd king, he's our certainty in the midst of uncertainty. He's our certainty in the midst of uncertainty. Luke 24, verse 50, he says, and he led them. Jesus leads them as the ascended king as far as Bethany. The disciples have to be thinking in this moment, Jesus, you took the wrong turn. Surely you got the wrong address plugged in your GPS, Jesus, because the temple is in Jerusalem. This is where you're supposed to, like, set up, shop, and restore all things. That's why they ask him in Acts, Acts 1, is now the time for you to restore all things, to make things right? Jesus, you've got to, you've got this wrong, bro. And the and, and the walk was a couple miles outside of Jerusalem, so they're walking for a long time thinking, Jesus, where are you going? They're like with your kids when you're going on vacation, you take a wrong turn. They're right in the back thinking, we've got to be lost here. No, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's leading them to Bethany which is near Mount of Olives. And though they expect a heavenly, or sorry, a, a physical rule, Jesus comes to bring about a spiritual rule. He comes to, to a sin, uh, not to defeat Rome, but to defeat sin and death and evil, which is the greatest enemy. And he says to his disciples there in Acts 1, which is another passage when it talks about the ascension, he says to his disciples, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know. Church, how do you respond when you're not in the know? When you're uncertain, it hasn't been revealed to you certain things of why. Our ascended king leads us to places of uncertainty for us to be more certain about him to detach our hands from the illusion that we're in control so our hearts can find its security in Jesus and in his leading if we don't have the ascended king's sovereign rule in mind church we will we will drift when i was growing up we didn't travel that much but a buddy of mine was going to south padre never been to south padre i heard the beach was better than galveston so i was like i'll try i'll try it out sure let's go I was in junior high. I, let, I left, my, left my family. We go to South Padre, which that was a drive I wasn't ready for. That was a long drive to get all the way to South Padre. The water was beautiful. And we got these boogie boards uh, that we got. We got skim boards. I'm still recovering from my ankles uh, and the skim boarding hitting my ankles and breaking all ten toes. Totally worth it, though. Skim boarding was amazing. But the boogie board, y'all. The boogie board is where it's at. We, my buddy and I, we get out there on our boogie boards and we were getting after it, sitting in the waves and riding those waves. And we were having like our own party out there in the beach. I think I, y'all know where I'm going with this is that, that, we, that we lost track of where the family was. Hence, I'm with like my best friend. My, my parents aren't there. And somehow we get separated. And so I'm out there on my boogie board, like still all up in it, all in the waves. And now my buddy's gone. And so now literally, I'm alone in the waves with my boogie board. And then I look up, and I don't know anybody that's around. I can't find the family station on the bank. I'm looking around, going into survival mode, panicking, because, y'all, it's a terrifying thought to know you're alone in the waves of uncertainty. It's a terrifying thought. Because when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we attempt to fabricate our own security in those waves of, of uncertainty. And so we turn to areas in our life that we... Can control. Jesus didn't leave us in those chaotic waters, but he cannonballed right in the midst of it to the waters in which we find ourselves in. No matter how deep those waters are that you may have experienced or felt this past week, Jesus meets us there, our ascended king who descends to the depths to invite us to release the illusion of control that we think we have. To embrace his sovereign control and rule and so that's why we can easily drift into finding our identity in our jobs so why we can drift and find our identity in performance because there's a lot of control there In the midst of all the uncertainty we can drift to places to think yeah but I got this and we could be known in a place for our performance we actually be somebody but when we go home Yeah, that's a place that is not in control. If we try to say we're in control, we're lying. We have as much things that we can control, that we do control, but there are things that our kids do that we just cannot control them. We can't control our spouses, and they actually know us for who we are outside of the list of accomplishments in, in that place. That's why it's so easy to drift into areas of control, because deep down within us, there's this attitude that I alone can get it done, and I'm the only one who can fix it. In this church, it's pride. In our culture, it applauds it. And it feels good to have money in the bank. And the applause and the abundance is like a drug. But people don't really know you. They only know the addict of success and status and stuff. In light of success, there's a shadow of fear. I heard this past week, a guy named Chad Carger. he says this, a really good version of you that people applaud. A really good version of you is a lousy picture of Jesus. A really good version of you that people applaud the success and the accolades and the grades and the GPA and all those things that we get, which are good in themselves. I'm not saying those things are bad, but we can drift in using those things as areas of control and find our identity in the doing of those things and lose sight of what Jesus, Jesus has already done and what he is doing and what he will do. So we humble ourselves and we repent of the lust of the con- of control to turn to Jesus who graciously gives us himself in these raging waters of life so that we can find our life, so we can find our life in him. Because if we're not careful, we're just, we're just giving people a really shallow version of what God has intended us to be. And the way that I can best describe this is that I've been having a relationship with with some friends of of mine, and we typically get around each other and we talk about our kids a lot. I found myself just talking about my kids and parenthood, which is which is okay, but after a while, that gets boring. It's like they, they, they only know me to a certain level, and there's this whole side of me that, 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 that I want them to know about, that, that, that my love for Jesus and, and what he's doing in my life, and so now in this moment, I kind of turn in that relationship to say, you know what, like, like our kids can be idols, they can be gods, and I don't want that to be the center of what I'm about. I love my kids, but they're not God, and so I, I want to offer people not just a shallow version and shallow conversation, but somehow interject the good news of Jesus, because this, this is an area of control. This is comfortable. We talk about our kids, like how frustrating they are and whatnot. But yet Jesus invites us out of those waters to join him into the waters with him to invite, cling on to his security. Because church, there's valley There's valley in the vision. There's, there, sorry, there, in, the, in this valley, there, there is, there's a place of vision. There's a, there, a, a resource called um, the Valley of Vision it's a collection of Puritan prayers and devotionals, and it says this in their introduction, speaking about life in the valley that we find ourselves in this week. They write, Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, you have brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but see you in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold your glory. Let Me learn by paradox the way down is up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is a healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, and that to have nothing is to to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, and that the valley is a place of vision." Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And deeper the wells, the brighter your stars shine. Let me find your light in my darkness, your life in my death, your joy in my sorrow, your grace in my sin, your riches in my poverty, your glory in my value. See the paradox. Jesus comes us to, invites us to die so that we can live. Totally countercultural. The kingdom flips this, flips this world's values upside down. Our ascended king descends to the depths of the valley to be with us, to lift up our eyes to him. That's why there's known as a psalm of ascent that the that the Jewish people would sing as they were going to Jerusalem. As we celebrate Ascension Sunday, they would sing Psalm 121, verse one and two says, I lift my eyes to the hills. I lift my eyes to the hills. And we know that hill is Calvary. The son that who was lifted up first on that cross. For where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And y'all, when I read that verse right here, there was years ago where a student of mine got in a tragic car accident. Lost her life. was a student of foster. And her brother, there was a brother and a sister. The sister passed away. And the brother was in one of my discipleship groups. And it was this passage of Psalm 121, and every now and then I look over at him. I say, "Hey, brother, we need to hear Psalm 121," and he would just go off with it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Oh, where's my help come from? My help comes from the name, from from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he would just spit it out. Because church in the valley, we need to cling to heavenly truths. Cling to the in the valley in the midst of grief, in the midst of the shadow of death, in the, in the valley of the hospital waiting room, in the, va- in the valley of tragedy, of school shootings, in the valley of losing our own brother John. In this valley, the ascended shepherd king invites us to look at his hands. I could not get past this verse, y'all. This is like the bread and butter today for me. In the ascension, Jesus offers him offers us his hands, he blessed them, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them and continued to bless them. He offers us his hands, church, because today we see, even in those verses above, that Jesus still marks, has the marks of pain to comfort us in our pain. He reveals himself to his disciples and says, touch and see, look at the scars and look at the wounds. Those things that we attempt to hide and not talk about are actually a story of redemption. That Jesus once bore scars and wounds to conquer death, to give us eternal life. And even in his resurrected, ascended state, says, Behold, look at my hands. I'm with you in the valley, I'm with you in the midst of grief. I'm a man who is uh, known for being a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, to be with us in moments such as these. And in that passages, if you look just a few verses above, it, Jesus not only does this, they still disbelieve. They, and so what does Jesus do? He just continues to get closer. And he eats with them. He's like, all right, hey, y'all, let's get some fish up in here. We got some fish tacos. Y'all, all right, let's get that going. Because y'all believe I'm still a spirit. I got to eat before you to show you that it's me in my physical resurrected state to be with you. So Jesus not only lifts up his hands, and the king he descends and he dines with us that's why it says in psalm 23 even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies when i didn't have words for john while he was in the hospital when i didn't have enough stories to tell there's a much much laughter and much weeping especially when psalm 23 came up If you're dying in the hospital, I'm going to read Psalm 23 because it's in the valley of the shadow of death. We fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. His rod and his staff, they protect us from the enemy. And he prepares a table in the midst of loss and grief for for Jesus to dine with us and for us to dine with him. It's at this valley table, Jesus invites us to come broken so we can heal. These hands lifted up are lifted up no, no longer stretched out on a cross, bearing the curse of sin, but now stretched out and extended to provide blessing. No longer on a cross. The ascended king lifts up his hands. Church, this is the posture of Jesus. He doesn't have his fists raised up. He isn't shaking his head in disappointment. He's not your angry parent with a short fuse. He's not your distant parent. His arms are extended, and they're available and welcomes all who would come to him. Notice as Jesus is being ascended, his fingers aren't crossed and saying, Man, I, I really hope things go well for you guys. You're on your own. Go get him, tiger. No, he sees us in the waters. No matter how deep, and he pours out blessing. And this blessing, church, isn't comfort or wealth or material. It's not the hashtag blessed life that we may dream of. No, this, this, the the, the black, actually the, the hashtag blessed life may be very well distracting us from experiencing Jesus fully. Let us not be carried away by gifts and lose sight of the giver of those gifts. But what kind of blessing is in the departure of the king? How can he be blessing them while while being ascended, because the blessing is a necessary ending to give way to something better. Let me say that again. The blessing is a necessary ending to give way to something better. This was a close in a chapter, literally to give way to a new chapter called the book of Acts, which is primarily the acts of the Holy Spirit through the work of the early church. And so we'll focus more on that next week with Pentecost Sunday. Henry Cloud writes this in his book, without the ability to end things, without the ability to end things, people stay stuck, never becoming who they are meant to be, never accomplishing all that their talents and abilities should afford them. Church, what needs to end in your life that you're still trying to nurture? Because even Jesus ended this unique earthly ministry to give way to something better, mainly the Holy Spirit residing in us. But what needs to end church in your life? It may be a toxic relationship? Or maybe it's a relationship that just looks different because you're in different areas and different I mean, you just live live far apart. You, maybe you're still trying to nurture something that maybe Jesus is inviting you to be more present here. Or maybe it's saying no so that you can say yes to what God is calling to you. Church, what passions, what gifts are laying dormant because you don't like change? Ecclesiastes reminds us that, For everything, there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. It was necessary for Jesus to end this unique season because his earthly assignment, it was complete. And I imagine in that moment as Jesus is being lifted up, Peter, just being Peter, knowing himself when he transfigured before, then remember what Peter wanted to do? He wanted to camp out. Jesus, don't go. But y'all, the Peter of the Gospels, is an entirely different Peter that we see in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit dwells in him and he's getting his preach on, people are getting saved. That was a necessary ending to give birth to something new and greater. Number three, the Ascended Shepherd King intercedes on our behalf and it is worthy, he is worthy of our relationship. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says this, Consequently, Unlike the former priest who died, talking about the priesthood, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So our shepherd king, he's the ascended one. He's also our shepherd who intercedes on our behalf, and he's worthy. He's worthy of our worship. And it's this verse all that, got, I mean, that, just, that struck me, that he loves and saves to the uttermost. So those that are coming in in need of rescue this morning, good news, Jesus, he saves to the uttermost. Jesus was broken for us who are broke. For those that find themselves in the dark, light has come. That no matter the depth of the pit, no matter the terrible choices you have made, are making, or that you will do, the kindness of Jesus runs deeper still. Now Jesus took on the horrors of the pit and was alone so we could belong to him alone. Now and forever. There's a book that we gave out, uh, maybe maybe probably a few months ago, called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. I highly encourage you to read. He says this about the intercession of Jesus, which he says that we don't talk a lot, or much in the church. So I was like, we're going to talk about it today with our ascended shepherd king. He says this, our sinning goes to the uttermost. Our sinning goes to the uttermost, but his saving goes to the uttermost. And his saving always outpaces and overwhelms our sinning because he always lives to intercede for us. Right now, right now, y'all, Jesus has ascended and he intercedes on our behalf. And did you know that this ascended shepherd king, he prays for you? Like right, right now in, in this moment, he's, he's praying for you. And I highly encourage you to read John chapter 17. We don't have time to go there, but you see this high priestly prayer where Jesus prays for us to be sustained. He prays for unity and he prays for his joy, his joy to be fulfilled in us. And it's right there as, as those words come to life here, here in our text. It says in Luke 24, 52, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem. I'm sure that terrible moment, that, that, that fear turned into faith where they're worshiping Jesus. They return to Jerusalem with great mega joy. The same joy we talk about in Advent, the same joy that we refer to there in Luke chapter 2, this mega joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. Church, how will we respond to this ascended shepherd king? How will we respond? If you are lacking joy this morning, it's not a circumstantial problem, but a worship problem. If you're lacking joy this morning, it's not a circumstantial problem, but it, it's a worship problem. What's got the best of our affections in the midst of very difficult circumstances? Because this joy, y'all, is not this flimsy, shallow Hallmark Disney. No offense to Hallmark and Disney, but this joy, y'all, it goes deep. Nothing wrong with those shows. If you like Hallmark, I apologize and I repent. <laughs> but a deep, abiding joy that Jesus offers that this world cannot offer. If you're lacking joy this morning, maybe a worship problem because we see joy's experience, and it's experienced in the not my will, but yours be done. Joy's experience, like Job, when he loses everything. He still decides to worship. And he says, The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It says in Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It says in James 1, consider it all joy when you go through various trials. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. How can there be great joy in the midst of great loss? What are you talking about this joy? In the week that I just had? The grief that I'm experiencing? Joy is made available. We see it biblically all throughout because there's an intimacy with the Lord in the midst of the fire. There's an intimacy with the Lord in the midst of the fire, not a part of it. I don't have time to really go all in there, but there's, there's some characters called da- uh, in the Bible called Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rack, Shack, and Benny for all my VeggieTales fans. <laughs> Story comes from the Bible. It's not about a chocolate bunny. It's about a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar or King Nebi or King Nebs, depending upon your audience. We'll go with King Nebuchadnezzar because we're adults. I call him King Nebi when I'm teaching kids. King Nebi, ruthless guy. Demanded worship set up an altar or a statue of himself and says, hey, when the, when the band goes off, bow down and worship me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, yeah, we ain't going to do that. It says in verse 16 of Daniel 3, they answered the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you this in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to, to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O oh, king. He will do this. Here's the words, but if not, but if not, he's able to save, he's able to deliver us out of this terrifying experience, but if he does not, because they know God's sovereign rule has a plan and a purpose for God's glory and ultimately for our good, that he's powerful and he can do this, but if he decides not to, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Ultimate devotion, soul worship, providing a joy literally, literally to be thrown in the fire of the furnace. And we remember the story. Maybe we don't, but it's there in that fire. King Nebuchadnezzar comes looking over. He's like, hold up, y'all. Whoa, we, how many men are we throw in there? Only three, right? Three? One? Yeah, we can count to three. I know we're Babylonians, but we can count to three. We got three people in the fire. Y'all, there's a mysterious one in the midst of that of the fire. Why would the angel of the Lord show up, show up in that fiery furnace to give us hope this morning that when we find ourselves in the furnace of life, there's a mysterious one in the flames? Refining and aligning our vision in the valley as we lift, lift our eyes up to the ascended king, knowing he has descended to provide us joy when we don't understand why. He's this, the ascended shepherd king. He satisfies our thirst. He's our certainty in the midst of uncertainty. And he intercedes on our behalf. He's worthy of our worship. Let me pray, and the band will come out and close us in song. God, I'm not sure of all how we have come in this morning. I assume with some heaviness. God, I assume with some grief, with all that we see on the news, God, let alone what we see even in our own group as a church of tragedy and loss and children being hurt and even losing their lives, of losing a dear brother and friend. We can get lost in these ways of uncertainty and cling to control, to fabricate a security that is shallow. But God, you're the ascended king who descends to be our security and our safety in the midst of the ways. That's why it says in Hebrews 6 that you are our sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So we... We maybe feel like we're being tossed to and fro by emotions and waves and events, but God, you are a God who never changes. The seasons may change, but you are consistent. God, and you provide joy. So if we're feeling joyless, God, would we just worship? Maybe now in this moment as we respond in song, we would just sing praises to you. And let that leak into our everyday life. Because worship is not just a Sunday morning. It's all of life. As we declare your worth and your glory. So I pray that your glory would land in this place. More specifically, I pray glory would land in our hearts. You are our ascended shepherd king. We love you. Do you know I pray?